No mai haere mai ki te roki roki o te awa o Pauaho. Kia ora and welcome to the podcast of The River o Pauaho. This is a podcast of our Sunday morning teachings and we believe that they have the power to transform us as we attempt to follow Jesus in the modern world. This podcast is the first of a series that we did last year on the Sermon on the Plain that we find in Luke 6. Our hope is that Jesus might speak to you through these words and that you might feel inspired to join Jesus in his kingdom mission to our world. Um, let me start with a wee karakia. He honore, he kurore, ki te atua. He maungaronga, ki te whenua. He whakaro pai, ki nga tangata katoa. Amini. All honour and glory goes to God, and may his good thoughts flow through us, and may peace flow through the land. Yeah. <sighs> yes, Jesus. Today, we're starting a new series looking at the Sermon on the Plain. Don't imagine a flight attendant adding a gospel message to the in-flight announcement. That's totally not what's going on here. It's not like, um, excuse me, everyone, in the unlikely event of an emergency, you're recommended to take the brace position. While you have your head lowered, make sure you repent of your sins, invite Jesus to be your personal Lord and Saviour, so that if we do crash, you can continue your flight to paradise. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, Different gospel, different type of plane. Anyway, this sermon is called Weirdos and Outsiders. I was a weird looking kid. There I am. (laughs) This photo here, I'm wearing a Thomas the Tank Engine t-shirt. I'm wearing Thomas the Tank Engine pants. I'm holding Thomas the Tank Engine trains. My face looks like it was run over by Thomas the Tank Engine. I was, a, I was a very weird looking kid and I was very obsessive about things. I was so into Thomas the Tank Engine. I also had terrible eyesight and um, my family was super poor so they got me the cheapest glasses that they possibly could, which made me look like David Bain if he was really into Thomas the Tank Engine, that's me. The second picture, um, I'm the one with the glasses. This was my being really into sheep stage. So weird. Oh my goodness. I wanted the sheep to live in my bedroom. I called that lamb Lindy because then it was Lindy lamb, which I thought was really funny. It wasn't. I was a weirdo. This part right here, look at that. There we go. Look at that hairstyle. That's crazy, eh? It was business at the front, punk rocker at the back, wearing knee pads on my skateboard. My point is, I was a very strange kid. I was always a little bit intense. I was a little bit weird. And my first teacher... Let's call her Mrs. Beckinsale, because that was her name. She didn't like me very much. She was constantly telling me off. And I mean, some of it was fear. I did have this thing for putting crayons up my nose. But still, my next teacher was a man by the name of Noel Graham, and he liked me. And he was one of those teachers that he liked me, and I knew he liked me. He enjoyed me. He described me to my mum as a likable rogue. And it was a label that stuck, and I loved it. Uh, He could see through my weird glasses and my weird haircut and my weird relationship with crayons. And he saw an intelligent kid with a good sense of humor, and he laughed at my jokes. It was great. He, uh, He treated me differently to how the other kids treated me. And it was a lifeline because when I was in year two, I mean, I looked like this. I got pretty ruthlessly bullied. Uh, by this kid called Nick. Now, I'm not saying that all kids called Nick are bullies, 
but all kids called Nick Stevenson R. <laughs> this, this kid, he would like steal my glasses and so I couldn't really see and then he'd like throw them away and I'd have to go and try and find them and then he'd laugh at me and it wasn't fun even when I had crayons in my nose. It was just, it was horrible. But no, he liked me. He helped to instill within me a deep desire to do to others what he had done to me, which was to like and notice and take care of the weirdos and the outcasts. The following year, I had a new teacher. Uh, I actually can't remember her name. All I remember is that she was really old. Like when she was talking about dinosaurs, it was like she had first-hand experience. One day, she had to leave the classroom, and I want to tell you the story of this thing that happened that day, and a huge part of it was because of what Noel had shaped in me to care for the weirdos and the outsiders. So, teacher left the classroom. This is 1993. She went to do some photocopying, right? And so you know when teachers leave the classroom, they say, stay quiet and do your work. So no one does. You know, you start like chewing up pieces of paper and throwing it on the roof and then watching them stick up there, that type of thing. This day, there was this girl, let's call her Rachel. Wasn't actually her name. I've changed the name to like protect her identity. Rachel, she was a nasty girl, man. She, this is a true story. When the teacher left the room, she walked to the front of the classroom and she said, hey, everyone. Stand up if you hate Rowena. This really happened. My school, a lot of bullying at my school. <laughs> a lot of bullying in the 90s. Um, and do you know what happened that day? Every single person in that classroom stood up, except two people. The first person was Rowena, obviously. <laughs> She's not going to stand up and be like, oh, I hate myself. And the second person that didn't stand up was me. And it's not because I liked Rowena. She was a, quite a strange girl with quite a strange smell. It's, be- it's because of this thing that had been instilled in me to take care of and notice the weirdos and the outsiders. So I stood up for what was right by sitting down. And then Rachel looks around the room and she sees me and she goes... <clears throat> Oi, James, why aren't you standing up? And I didn't want to. She goes, ooh, James loves Rowena. And I was like, yep. And all the power in the room changed. It was so strange. And then other kids started realizing that what they'd done was really stink. And so one by one, kids started sitting down until it was just Rachel standing up. At the end of that year, Rowena gave me a Christmas card. True story. It said in it, thank you for that day. I knew exactly what she was talking about. And she gave me a little pack of lollies. No one else got lollies. The moral of the story here is if you stand up for the weirdos and the outcasts, then you're going to get candy. Yeah. This theme, this thing that Noel Graham did for me that then I ended up doing for someone else, especially for the weirdos and the outsiders, this is a key theme that runs right through the book of Luke. Now, we're going to be talking about a specific piece of Luke, which is the Sermon on the Plain. It's like the Sermon on the Mount's poor younger cousin, but it's where Luke collects together a whole bunch of Jesus's teachings. And so over the next sort of six weeks, we're going to be working through them. So the gospel, according to Luke, is uniquely written by a non-Jew. We actually don't know that much about Luke, but what we do know is that the Jews viewed the non-Jews as weirdos. And the non-Jews viewed the Jews as weirdos. I mean, there are a whole group of people who didn't like bacon. That is pretty weird. But at the same time, 
Jews were pretty exclusive. It was very hard to become a Jew. And because of something that this Jewish Messiah, this guy called Jesus, had done, Luke had been invited into a new family and found a new sense of belonging, belonging in a community that he never thought he would be able to belong to. And so maybe something of Luke's experience of being an outsider and then becoming an insider, of being included and finding belonging, shaped the way that he told the story of Jesus because he told the story of Jesus through his experience of it. And so what I want to do today is I just want to touch on two scriptures that kind of highlight this theme. There's so many that we could have picked. There's like all the beautiful prayers at the start of Luke sort of get at this idea of an upside down kingdom, of a reversal of the people that have been outsiders becoming inside. It's incredible, right? Could have picked a whole bunch of stuff, but I just want to highlight two pieces that kind of get at this theme. This is the genealogy in Luke. So this is Luke uh, chapter 3, 23 to 38. Now, the point I want to make here is that this genealogy in Luke is quite different to the genealogy in the book of Matthew for one specific reason. Matthew traces Jesus' whakapapa all the way back to Abraham and stops. Luke traces Jesus's whakapapa all the way back to Adam. He's making a claim here, and it's actually really interesting. Luke is claiming here that Jesus is, yes, the Messianic king from the line of David, that's really important, and that he's bringing God's blessing for the people of Israel, like was promised Abraham and his descendants would do. But not only to the descendants of Abraham, he's bringing blessing to all of the sons of Adam. He's literally, what Jesus has done, who Jesus is, invites all of humanity into the blessing. And so Luke's kind of tracing this theme all the way back to go, we're all invited. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, doesn't matter how weird you are, how broken you are, how outside you feel. All humans get invited into Jesus's gospel mission. That's good news. In some profound way, Jesus is fulfilling the original charge to Adam and Eve to wisely rule and steward creation and then inviting every human into that partnership and into that call. The second place I want to stop and have a look is this. Now, this is really a really famous piece of scripture. This is in Luke. This is the way that Jesus announces his kingdom mission. In his hometown of Nazareth, they gather in the synagogue. Jesus is invited to read from the scroll of Isaiah. He searches through the scroll of Isaiah. Um, This is Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Reads this out and says, Today in your hearing, it's been fulfilled. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Luke uniquely highlights the social implications of Jesus' kingdom mission. He does it all the way through his gospel, but he does it here too. So I just want to jump into two of these words in a little bit more detail. Tangent alert. So the first word is the word freedom, is the Greek word aphesis, which literally means release. So if you're reading Leviticus 25, which I know you were probably doing this morning, it tells the story about the the jubilee. 
which is every seven years there's an ephesus, there's a release, and then every 50 years there's the culmination of the seven-year cycle, and there is jubilee. When jubilee happens in Israel's scriptures, what happens? What happens in jubilee? Help me out here. Debt is cancelled. Yep. What else happens? Slaves are freed. You get your land back. Slaves released, debts were cancelled, land was returned. It's the symbolic act of God's liberating justice and mercy. It's release, it's jubilee. People are set free. What did this mean? It means that the people that had been trampled by the system, either by their own poor choices or the choices of others, they are released from the situations that they have found themselves in. This is what Ephesus, this is what being set free, liberated, that's what it's all about. And Jesus announces his kingdom mission here, and too often the way that we engage with this is just on some sort of spiritual sin level, which is true and important. Like Jesus wants to do this, this Ephesus, this liberation, this freedom, Jesus wants to do this for you. Jesus wants to set us free from all of the crappy choices that we have made or that we are making or the implications of the crappy choices that other people have made that have harmed us. Jesus wants to aphesis us. Jesus wants to set us free from that. The word... Poor here is the Hebrew word ani. Say it with me, ani. Now, in Hebrew, the word ani has a far broader meaning than just people who didn't have much money. Right? We hear poor and we think not much money. Poor, ani, it includes people of low social standing or low social status. It included people who were disabled, sick, woman, children, elderly, people of different, different ethnic groups, slaves, prostitutes, or people whose poor life choices had placed them outside of what is acceptable in religious circles. Ani is not just about being poor of money. Ani is about being a, an oppressed minority. It's about having no social standing. And what Jesus is doing is he's proclaiming good news to people who the rest of society have called weirdos and outsiders. All the Annies, yeah. Any Annies in the building? Um, That would be a bad time to have the name Annie. And Jesus says that his coming kingdom is especially good news for those people, for the poor, for the Ani, for the weirdos and the outcasts. And then, last little piece here, the stories between Luke 4 and Luke 6 Following from on from this scene, Luke tells us story after story after story of Jesus proclaiming good news and liberating the poor. A sick woman is healed. By the way, awesome. Sick woman is healed. A man with leprosy, which wasn't only a sickness, he was locked out of the religious system altogether. He had no social standing because he could never be in a clean state. He's healed. A paralyzed man is healed. A prostitute is liberated. And then Jesus invites a tax collector to follow him. And we should pay attention to that because the picture here is striking. The tax collector isn't poor, but he is a knee. By making lots of money, by oppressing other people, Jesus has come to the conclusion that this guy needs to be liberated. 
He needs to be set free from his poverty. The point here is this. You can actually have a lot of money and still be poor, according to Jesus. You can have a lot of money and you can still be unne. And so Luke is showing us that Jesus' kingdom brought restoration and reversal to the whole of people's lives and their circumstances. So the last thing that Jesus does before we get to the Sermon on the Plain, which I'll just I'll, I'll read to us because that's where we're going to be, is he forms a new Israel. He does this by appointing the 12 disciples who are symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then on a plain, on a big flat space, just like Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, Jesus, just like Moses, gives them a teaching about how they, how this new Israel, these new tribes of people are going to be a different type of people in the world, just like Moses did in Deuteronomy before these people went into the land. You're going to be a different type of people in the world. Jesus goes, if you're part of my kingdom movement, we're going to be a different type of people in the world. And then we get into chapter six. We get to see what Jesus is good news proclaimed, preached to the poor, looked and sounded like. And so we're going to read it. He went down and stood on a level place. That's where we get sermon on the plain. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, people being liberated. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them. Spiritual, tangible liberation, and then teachings to teach us how to be a liberated people and how to bring liberation for others. So, looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you when you weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them also the other. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. (sighs) If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. 
Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall in a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for you, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundations on rock. And when the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on a ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Man. If you're sitting here listening to that teaching, thinking that sounds too hard, uh, or maybe if that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, then I don't actually know if I'm a Christian, then join the club. The stuff about hypocrisy, the stuff about loving our enemies, lending money without expecting repayment, like these teachings are, are hard. Judging, not judging others. So I want to just offer one final thought as we sit with this sermon on the plane and as we begin to work through it over the next, um, over the next six weeks. This is an invitation into a radically different way to be in the world, and we actually can't do it in our own strength, which leads you to encounter the fact that you need to be rescued. We need to be rescued over and over again. And the only way that you're going to be rescued is not by doing something yourself, not by striving yourself. It's by something that's been done for you. It's not by something you can do for yourself. You can't rescue yourself. But it's by trusting something that has been done for you through the Messiah, Jesus. Look at this outrageous piece of scripture. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. The only person who can fully fulfill that is Messiah Jesus, and he did. He taught these words, and then in his death on the cross, he demonstrated these words. Like it says in Romans, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. 
He loved his enemies, he did good for them, and he gave the ultimate lending. He gave, paid the ultimate price, his death on the cross, and didn't expect anything back except for us to place our trust in him and to follow him and to model and implement this kingdom mission that he started when he did the sermon on the, on the plane. We were rescued and we are being rescued by Jesus who paid the ultimate price. Jesus is the fulfillment of his teachings. He did it for us and then he invites us to learn how to do that for others. He loved us and loves us while we are still weirdos and outsiders. And he did good for us by sacrificing himself on the cross. He paid the ultimate price and we could never pay him back. And the thing that we're invited into is to repent and believe the good news. So that was part one of the Sermon on the Plain. Like we always say at the River of Pawahu, you are loved, you are liked, you are broken, you are forgiven, and you are entrusted with the kingdom. And so if you want to find out more about what it means to be loved, liked, broken, forgiven, and trusted with the kingdom, then feel free to listen to the rest of the series on the Sermon on the Plain. Te aroha noa me te rangi marie ki a koe. Grace and peace.